I don't have a hearing aid, so I don't think <laughs> If it does, we'll trust God and roll with it. Yeah. Thank you for the introduction. I kind of think of Wayne's world, Wayne Garson. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. But as I think of that this morning, isn't that the truth for all of us? That we're unworthy. But yet, Jesus counted us worthy. And honestly, I, I struggled with how to open. And all I can do is share a little bit about myself. Because yeah, we're going to spend some time this morning as I think about my prayer for us, is that each of us would encounter Jesus today right where we are. But that starts with me and how I encounter Jesus, because I, I think I might be a rarity that, as we unpack this today, some of us are going to relate to one character or the other in the text. And as I think through it, I relate to both. You see, when I first became a believer, I didn't meet Jesus until I was 30 years old. And when I met Jesus, I thought I was 30 years behind. To I dove in, yeah, I learned all that I could, yeah, and I jumped in this Bible study. And it was great. It laid foundations. But I would bring my homework every week to check a box because somebody you know, would check that I did this. So I'd memorize scripture. I'd spend daily time with God, and all those were good things. But something was missing. I was checking the box. And it took... And I, I must have been 70 verses in memorizing before those verses, Jesus began to use them and change them and change me from them. And what I, what I mean by that is I began to pray a prayer that, yeah, Lord, don't let me just read your word. Don't, me, don't let me approach your word. Don't let me memorize a verse of scripture without it becoming my very DNA, a part of me. And see, before, I was memorizing things, and it did. It helped me sin less. But that was just this outside facade. Yeah, it wasn't until those pieces of Scripture, and he touched me with the Holy Spirit, they got deep in me, that it became an overflow. And that's what I hope you see this morning. We're going to look at Luke 7, 36 through 50. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open there. And I've titled you know, today, Knowing and Being Known. And I just want to say, you know, knowing Jesus transforms lives. And being known by Jesus brings freedom. So I want to pray before we read. Father... These next moments, would you be glorified? Would you give us eyes to see your word freshly? Would you give us ears to hear your word clearly? Would you allow us to see Jesus more and more? Holy Spirit, would you calm us? Would you have your way with us? Amen. 
So one of the Pharisees asked Jesus, asked him, asked Jesus to eat with them. And he went into the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisees had invited him, and they, they saw this, he, he said to himself, he says, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was touching him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answered, said to him, Simon. I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, 150. And when they couldn't pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them love him more? Simon answered him. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You judge rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, or forgiven, for she loved much, but he was forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The big idea this morning is that Jesus knows our hearts, our desires, and our motives. That he engages us personally as the forgiver of our sins and invites us to respond in complete worship. This prompts the hearts of those who know him to overflow in worship that yields forgiveness, love, peace, and often tears. I don't want us to overlook this morning that Jesus accepts the invitation of this Pharisee. And I, I always think that the Pharisees sometimes get a bad rap. Yeah, we look at them as these bad guys, and they didn't set out to be these yeah, highly holier-than-now yeah, folks that self-righteous people. They cared deeply for their land and for the Word of God. They just missed the heart of it. And here's Jesus, that even those that are far from him, comes to them, accepts the invitation, deals with them on an individual basis. He didn't just cut all the religious leaders off. I want us to stop for a minute and really picture this scene. Here's this woman. She didn't belong there. You know, she shows up. This is a sinner crashing a dinner party. She comes in. I've got to imagine, you know, they're serving food, and all, all that just had to stop. And everybody looking and thinking, who is this 
that just walked in and interrupted what was going on. To them, she's defiling their dinner. And I find it interesting. Isn't that when Jesus always shows up and begins to work? I want to hit three points this morning. You know, the first one is Jesus is the knower of our hearts. The second is Jesus is the forgiver of our sins. And the third is that Jesus is the only one worthy of worship. It's funny the screen went out because I told myself, I said, God, if that just goes out, I'm just going to open my Bible and we're just going to go. I thought I was shifting gears for a second. Yeah, so Jesus, he knows the thoughts, the desires, the motives of our hearts. And really this week as I was preparing this, I just came down to this. Do we confess our thoughts as followers of Jesus? I think it's easy for us to come confess the sins that we do you know, when we make the mistake. But do we confess our thoughts? Because I want you to know Jesus cares about our thoughts. And as we look at this, yeah, this is, I, I can't imagine Simon here. He said to himself, this wasn't out loud, that if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was touching him, for she was a sinner. And Jesus just automatically answers him, says, Simon, I've got something to say to you. He knew what was on his mind, but also the motives behind it. I don't know about you, you, I often want to hide my thoughts. And I think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, I want to be like them, right? Go grab you know, some leaves, hide my thoughts behind them, instead of just encountering God right where I am. And I think that's far too common for us. And if I can encourage you with something this morning, it would be this. If Jesus answers this Pharisee whose heart is far from him, how much more will he answer those of our hearts that speak to him? And I began to just look in Scripture, you know, in different places where we see this, where you know, this is, he knows us, he sees us, but it goes deeper than that. He searches us, that he knows our very thoughts. But then it goes even deeper that he knows our desires. That he searches the heart. But then it also says, hey, he knows the heart. But again, even a level deeper that he knows the reasoning of our hearts. And then God has also told us that he looks for hearts that belong to him. The way that we see others affects how we treat them. Jesus, looking at this woman, he sees her. And this is one of my favorite parts in here because, as you see here, it says, hey, he turns towards the woman, but he's talking to Simon. And he says, do you see her? So as the world looks past this woman, 
how comforting it must be that Jesus is looking right at her. And I don't know if you've ever had Jesus look right at you. Jesus saw her, do you? See, Simon thought he saw her because he saw her one way for many, many years. But she wasn't that way anymore because she encountered Jesus. That's not who she was. Simon was looking on the outside, looking at all these things that she has done in her life. He couldn't see the forgiven child of God that she had become. He's focused on the external. What's on the outside? What's on the facade? What, what do they do? Who are we looking past? And I, I struggled as I dug deep in this. And I took both my girls on walks in the last week, uh, two of my daughters, and just, just unpacked this. Next piece, because one thing that I learned about you know, Simon and these Pharisees in this day, they would have these religious men, they would have this daily prayer. And I'm going to share this prayer with you. you know, because these are deep lines that were drawn in their culture. And there's some deep lines that are drawn in our culture. But they would pray, Blessed are you, Lord our God, ruler of the universe who has not made me a Gentile, who has not made me a slave, who has not made me a woman. I struggle with how do you get there? How do you profess to be a man of God and this is a daily prayer for you? I've got to imagine some of them had daughters. They surely had wives. And see... Simon had already drew this line way before this woman ever committed a sin. The line was already there. The sin you know, just added to it. That, that was the acceptable that he could tag on top of it. He was conditioned so deep that he couldn't see her. I also think Paul unpacks this for us. Yeah, some will call Paul the Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, yeah, so he would have known this prayer and likely have prayed this prayer. But we see in Galatians, he says, For as many of you that were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. I want to share just a couple people in my life that I am thankful for. While I was far from God, I, I'll back up. So my grandfather was my father figure. Just after my eighth birthday, he got lung cancer. And just in a matter of a couple weeks, was gone. My world came crashing down. Like That was my guy. That was my hero who I looked up to. 
and I was lost. And I started to attend this after-school program called Sunshine Tree. It was connected to this little old church. And I would walk in every day. And as I walked in, there was this little old lady, Miss Alveda Rogers. I don't know if you guys have ever met somebody when you walk in the room that it feels like the room just stops. And there's nothing else there. When I walked in, I felt known. I felt seen. And she'd take little old eight-year-old me down into the chapel and just scatter gospel seeds all over me. She'd teach me songs like, Jesus loves me. Father Abraham and this little light of mine. And guys, for 30 years, I couldn't recite a lick of those songs. And they've just come flooding back. And my lesson there, you know, that God's taught me, is what God sows, no one can take away. But he put this faithful child of his, Mrs. Rogers, that was near and dear to him, that knew him personally in my path. Every day is this eight-year-old lost kid. She did the same with, or he, you know, God did the same with her husband, Bill Rogers. I'd walk in the gym, I'd get a high five and a hug. They only let you go to that sunshine tree through elementary school. So in middle school, I started to go to the South Omaha Boys Club. And I'd walk into the South Omaha Boys Club. They'd pick on me. When I first showed up, there was one guy on staff that when I came in the door, he'd look at me, greet me with a high five and a hug. His name was Michael Rogers. Michael was the son of Bill and Alveda. I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. But the world stopped. And again, God used someone that was near and dear to him that would see, not me for broken eight-year-old that I was, but would see me with compassion as a child of God. I want to share with you because I recently got to pray for an hour and a half with 93-year-old Bill Rogers both Michael and Alveda had passed. But I shared with Bill, you know, hey, here's, here's the impact you made with me as this eight-year-old kid. And he said that was, his response was, that was our ministry. He says we just wanted every kid to know that they mattered. That they were known. That Jesus sees them. And Jesus loves them. And I thought, what a ministry. Backing up a little bit in Luke 7. This is what Jesus did. Yes, this is the widow at the gates of Nain. So, you know, she's weeping. And it just says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion 
And I love that. We, we see that a li- little bit later on, a couple chapters later with the Good Samaritan that Keith Priest a few weeks ago. You know, he sees the beaten guy on the side of the road. It says he saw him and had compassion. Didn't need to know his story. Didn't need to know anything else. Just that he saw him and that was enough. If you don't walk away with anything else today, don't miss this. Jesus sees you. Jesus loves you. And he's there waiting to carry a load that you were never meant to carry. I want us to see Jesus as the forgiver of our sins. We see it twice in the book of Luke, you know, where Jesus says, hey, their sins are forgiven. And this is scandalous to them, right? They, they, they don't know how to wrestle with this, what to do with this, that this man standing in front of them is forgiving sin. And Jesus is giving them a little glimpse of who he really is. And they still miss it. They're right in front of him and still miss it. In Luke 5, they're yeah, lowering a guy through the roof. And isn't that the power of Jesus? That a full house can't stop him from working? Heck, a roof can't stop him from working. He shows up, and those that were called to him will find a way to come to their king, to come see the Savior. But what a word of assurance to this sinful woman. To have Jesus look at her and say, your sins are forgiven. How comforting that had to be. Being known by our sin is no longer the identity for those of us that know Jesus. Martin Luther put it this way, that we're simultaneously saints and sinners. And my buddy Jim White unpacked that a different way for me. He says we're both perfect and perfecting. That God sees, covered by Jesus, that perfect version of us. But he also sees us right where we are along our journey and still perfecting. There wasn't any mistake, you know, who this woman was. We see in verse 37, she was a sinner. Verse 39, see Paul, or not Paul, Simon, Pharisee and a Pharisee. She's a sinner. Even Jesus acknowledges she was a sinner, that her sinners, that her sins were many. We should all be engaged at that very word, sinner. That's who we are. She had this reputation. If we go back a couple of verses, you know, before this in verse 34, even Jesus had a reputation. You know, they said, hey, who is this guy that comes and he eats with sinners and tax collectors? So he's worried about this sinner, and he's already, you know, they've already accused Jesus of eating with something that's even worse than she was. They gave it their own category. Sinners and tax collectors. 
We've all got a reputation. But as I, as I read this, I think, man, Simon, Simon missed it here. Because if he knew who was standing in front of him, heck, if he knew who he was, he wouldn't have been saying, she's a sinner. He would have been sitting here saying, I'm a sinner. I'm the one in need of a Savior. I'm the one that needs to fall at his feet. I'm the one that needs to run to Jesus. See, we've all got a sin problem. We might be like this woman that has sins of commission, things that she did. Or we might be like Simon, these sins of omission, the things that he didn't do when Jesus showed up in his presence. But we've all got a sin problem. And Jesus notices Simon's neglect, but he also appreciates the devotion of this woman. And perhaps Simon's problem was that he was unwilling to admit that even a little sin separated him from God. See, faith moved her towards Jesus. Tim Keller says the gospel is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at this very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Knowing Jesus also means tasting the sweetness of his forgiveness. See, there's a moment that Christ looks upon you. And it just shatters all your defenses. There's a moment that Jesus calls each of us out of our own sin, out of our own problems. And see, Simon, he didn't experience this peace, this joy, or the sweetness of the forgiveness. Something was missing. I just want to touch on that our faith, it has an object. You know, in Romans 5, Paul writes, you know, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, Simon had, and these Pharisees would have faith in their works, faith in the things they did, faith in what they could do. This woman shows up. Her faith is in Jesus, in Jesus alone, the only saving faith. The 50 and the 500 had the same problem. They have the same problem. A debt that they could not pay. But I want us to understand something this morning. When a debt is repaid, this one was repaid in full. Someone, something always incurs the debt. It's never just free, get, get off scot-free. That debt was paid in full. 
Both debts were forgiven fully, freely, liberally, lovingly. And I think of the prodigal son come running home, and you've got the father, yeah, that receives him with open arms and a joyful heart. And isn't isn't that what Jesus has done for us? You know, God has forgiven us in full. Jesus paid the price in full. Your debt paid in full. Freely, liberally, lovingly, there's Jesus standing open arms and a grateful heart to receive us. If you guys would just close your eyes. I'd like you to imagine the worst thing you've ever done. However big or small you might think that is. Now imagine what it feels like knowing that that very thing has separated you from God. Now picture Jesus walking over to you. You handing that very thing, as painful as it is, over to him. Now watch as Jesus takes it from you and it just vanishes. Gone. Forever. Now stay right there for a moment. As Jesus leans in and embraces you. Embraces you as a fully forgiven child of God. This was her sweet encounter. This same encounter is there for each of us. It's not unique to her. Next point I want to hear is Jesus is the only one worthy of worship. That being forgiven should prompt our hearts to overflow in complete worship. Knowing Jesus produces a worship of faith, peace, love, and tears. When is the last time that you've cried out over the depth? Of your sin. For the last time. That you've cried out. Over the joy. Of the death of his forgiveness. See when I was that eight year old boy. We showed up to my grandfather's funeral. And I had an uncle. And he looked me in the eyes and he said, be strong for grandma. Go sit by her. And this isn't my uncle's fault. He didn't mean this, but my eight-year-old self internalized that as be strong, be a man, don't cry. And I didn't shed a tear for over 20 years. I didn't know how.
I love how Martin Luther puts it. He, he calls them heart water. That's been comforting to me. You know, just thinking about you know, this picture of a heart overwhelmed by what Jesus has done and it just overflowing. See, she had a tender heart with heart water flowing out because Jesus' flow of forgiveness, love, and grace, none of which were wasted. My favorite verses in Scripture is Psalm 56, 8. Yeah, where it says, you put my tears in a bottle. And he doesn't allow a single one to hit the ground. Bottled up. Because they belong to him. William McDonald said, it's, it's not a disgrace to weep in the shadow of Calvary. The disgrace is in not weeping. And unfortunately, once Jesus got my tears to flow, they don't stop. So I'm trying to not let them start today. But understand, in the presence of Jesus, this, this woman, she breaks all the rules. And there's some things that maybe don't make sense to us, but you have to look back to what they meant back then. Once she lets her hair down, that was a big no-no in her day. Yeah, they would let you know a woman would let her hair down for her husband. Otherwise, it was up. So for her to even let the hair down was scandalous. She's touching his feet. Another no, no. This isn't her husband. She's coming in touching his feet. Undignified, scandalous. But what a beautiful picture of how she gave everything sacrificially at the feet of Jesus. She didn't hold anything back. And I, I just see this singular focus that everything else must have seemed to stop for her. It's just her and her Savior. And everything else seems to just have faded into the background. And I want you to know this this morning. Jesus wants all of you. Everything that you have. He doesn't want just your Sunday morning, your Wednesday evening. He wants all of you. And I was guilty too long giving him some. But freedom didn't come until I gave He wants all your tears, all your affection, all your adoration, all your thoughts, not just some of them. He wants you to leave all your worries at his feet and come worship him. Knowing Jesus should impact how we love and see others. See, to Simon, he was just a guest over for dinner. I'm not even sure if he got his best. Something that convicted me a long time ago is I would go see folks and 
you show up and they, they break out the Folgers. Yeah, they break out the Folgers when the guests come over. But they've got the Kona coffee hanging, hanging in the cabinet. Yeah, hopefully that's nobody in here. Yeah. If it is, I guess this is for you. Yeah. <laughs> But I, but I was convicted of this, you know, this first fruits, like Jesus wants your best. So when you have these guests over you know, and you're entertaining, are you willing to give the best? You know, is it like, man, I've got, I've got those steaks out in the freezer, but they're coming over. Let's go with the Hot Pockets. <laughs> you know, let's save that for Sunday night with the family. You know, and it's, but it's a different economy, right, you know, where... No, he wants to, you to give the steaks to his kiddos. You eat the Hot Pockets later on. Bring that first fruits. And how, how he unpacked that to me was I often looked at it as this apple orchard. orchard. Um, one apple falls from the tree. And I'm hungry. But I go down and I pick up the apple. And he's saying, well, that apple's mine. Go give it to that guy. I'm kind of hungry. I don't know if another apple is going to fall out of this tree. But he says, I want your best. I want your first. It's my apple. And see, Simon was so interested in having them around the table. Just a guest. And hopefully that's not what we do every week. That we're just inviting him in on Sunday. Or when we walk in the church doors. Because not only does Jesus want more than that, he is worthy of much more than that. Here she is in her deep pain and all her brokenness, fully aware of her debt before God, a debt she couldn't possibly repay. But the more that she remembered... That debt, the more we remember the sin that we committed, whether we look at it as this much or this much, knowing that it separates from God, the more that we focus on that, the bigger Jesus should become in our lives. Because even that smallest thing separated us from God for forever. And he paid that price. The more she weeps over her sin, the more she delights in the Savior. I want to ask you, church, can you see her? She has a name, not a label. She has a broken heart, not a hard one. She was made in the image of God, not some scornful object. She was worthy that Jesus paid it all. Not worthless to the world. Now can you see her? Will you let God show you? A couple weeks ago, we were having lunch. Uh, I don't know. Keith must have got some great deal because this sandwich was like this big. And he says, you want some? Yeah, well, sure. He cuts it up, and there's plenty of leftovers. So we bag it up. We're in four hot cocos, you know, four sandwiches, bag them up, and we're going to head out, you know, and just give them to 
to some homeless folks. We don't get out the parking lot and go right across the street. There's four homeless people walking the other side. Well, that's easy. You know, we just pull the U-turn, pull up, and this crazy thing happens. You know, one one guy, Dakota, comes running up. You know, he's first. You know, but by the uh, by the time the other two get here, four went to three. I don't even know where the fourth guy went. He just like disappeared. The two that pulled up the rear. They didn't even really want to have a conversation. They were happy to take the food and the hot cocoa and another one for somebody they knew. But Dakota wanted to hang around and just talk. And he told me about these needs that he had for medicine, for whatever else. And all that could keep going through my mind was that's not what he needs. I mean, it's what he wanted in that time, right? You know, hey, help me get this fix. You know, I need this. As I looked at Dakota, and all I could think, and what I told Dakota was, Jesus sees you. Jesus loves you. Nothing else more had to be said. Tears come down. And just held him. I don't know where Dakota is today. But Jesus sees them. This woman's love, her, her love, and I want to hit on this, that it was a result of her forgiveness. It wasn't the reason for her forgiveness. This is the overflow. And Jesus has unpacked this a couple different ways for us. We go back and when they're running up to him and they say, hey, Jesus, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. And the seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Then he goes on in John 13. He, tell, he tells the disciples, he says, by this, by how you love one another, they will know that you're my disciples. See, this is an overflow. This isn't a reason. But those that are marked by Jesus are known. By the fruit of their faith. They're known by that love. And this, this peace that he sends her with in the end, that your faith has saved you, go in peace. True lasting peace only shows up, only shows up when you left it all at the cross, right at the feet of Jesus. When you're no longer carrying that which you were no longer meant to carry. You know, a picture for me is, I didn't even know what a euphonium was, but, you know, my son Noah played this euphonium in school. He's a little guy, a real little, and he comes with this euphonium, and he's, like, trying to lug this thing around. I don't know if you guys have ever seen one. It's like this. This thing was bigger than him, and I'm picking him up, you know, from his lesson. He's toting this thing along, and then he goes to get it in my truck. So not only is that, now he's got to get it up, you know, in my truck. And I'm just watching him struggle getting this thing in. Um, yeah, and I, I'm thinking the first time, yeah, he's got to learn to do it himself. Let him do it. Let him do it. He's got to learn to be strong, be this. That was me thinking. Next time I pick him up, he's struggling along. Yeah, I hop out, pick that thing up, set it in there. And he gets in there and just... 
Didn't have to say anything. Just the load that was taken off. What load do we have that we just need to leave at the feet of Jesus? We just need to take that backpack off and unpack whatever it is we're carrying. You see, as woman, she could go in peace because she knew she was saved. That even though the, the world may view her one way, she knew who she was now. She was a new way. She was a new creation. She belonged to Jesus. So peace marked her. And I don't want to miss this in this verse 50, because this is what Jesus does over and over and over again. He says, go. He's commissioned each one of us. And when you read when Jesus interacts with people and runs up on them in the Bible, there's always a go. There's always a commissioning. And then, my mind takes me back you know, to Luke 10, you know, and he's sending he sent out you know, the, the 72. But you know, before he gets there, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray for these laborers. But God's got a different economy than we have. So there's plenty of folks in church that you know, raise their hand and they say, I will go. But if you remember what we talked about earlier, God's looking for somebody whose heart is after him. Someone that he can work through. He's not just interested in those that raise their hand and say, yes, I'll go. Key shared last week from Matthew 7. Um, that, as a believer, that's, that's a verse that shook me a little bit early on because you've got these guys and they're running up to Jesus and they're saying, Lord, Lord, we healed, we cast out demons, we did all of this in your name. They acknowledged him as Lord. They thought they did works in his name. And Jesus' response to them was, depart from me. I didn't know you. So he's not looking for people that will just go. He's looking for people that come to him so he can send them to go. So don't get caught on the go. Get caught in coming to him, and the going's easy. And I love that he's promised to not send us alone. He's promised that he's there with us, that he's given us the Holy Spirit, that we can walk, that we can go, and not depend on ourselves. Brennan Manning said this. He said, sheer scholarship alone cannot reveal to us the gospel of grace, We must never allow the authority of books, institutions, or leaders to replace the authority of knowing Jesus Christ personally and directly. When the religious views of others interpose between us and the primary experience of Jesus, we become unconnected and unpersuasive travel agents, handing out brochures to places we've never visited. The... uh, Church, I want to say this to you. Yeah, I want to go how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians. He says, church, you're a letter from Christ. You're not written in ink. You're written, marked by the Holy Spirit. 
not on tablets of stone, but in your hearts. He set us apart. Our confidence is in Jesus, our sufficiency in God alone. And he sent ministers, these travel agents of the gospel by the Holy Spirit. And church, by that letter, it's already been marked by what Jesus has done in your life. Share it with others. My application points, and I'll be quick on these. Yeah, is the first one is you know, put, put Jesus first by responding to God's great mercy to you and for forgiving your sins by surrendering all to him. Put Jesus first. Like this woman, we have direct access to him. Go to him. Look to him. Worship him. She brought her everything in response to him. She became a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Be a bridge, not a barrier, by viewing people through the eyes of grace and not the lens of judgment. Like Jesus to the widow in name and to the good Samaritan beaten on the road. See, have compassion. We all put people in boxes. Don't leave them there. Guys, Jesus, she came, this, this woman, she came running to him, drowning in her regret, her shame, her hurt from her sin. She just wanted to be free from all her guilt, all her shame. Me too. She just wanted to taste the freedom that only Jesus can provide. See, she encountered Christ alone for her hope, her light, her strength, and made worshiping him her cornerstone. Simon rejected Jesus as that very thing. Just wanted him to be a guest. Church, I just want to ask you to stand if, if you're weighed down by sin this morning. If you're weighed down by brokenness. No lines drawn. No condemnation there. No judgment. Maybe you had a tough morning, tough evening with the kids or the expectations at work. Church, I don't want you to leave. Run out of here carrying that weight. Come find one of us. We just want to pray for you. And pray big. Because God is bigger than anything that you carried in here today. So don't leave today not knowing this Jesus, not knowing his love for you. If we could worship him.